Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. Chief Justice of the Idaho Supreme Court G. Richard Bevan delivered his annual State of the Judiciary Address to lawmakers this week, highlighting the role of the third branch of government in upholding the rule of law in Idaho. People are aware of courts, but they don't necessarily think of what courts mean. And they certainly don't think of what would happen without us. What is our judicial branch? It is fairly simple, really. Courts provide a fair and peaceful way to resolve disputes impartially and under an equal rule of law. The rule of law is a fundamental cornerstone without which our society would flounder. There are several ways to describe the rule of law. I've heard it said that the reason we will stop at a red light late in the evening with no one else around is because of the rule of law. And why do we stop? Because the rule of law is so entrenched in us that most of us don't even give it a second thought. The rule of law doesn't mean that the police are in charge. It means we all answer to the same laws. The rule of law is visible when we pay our taxes on time or when divorced parents throughout this state shuttle their children across town to fulfill custody arrangements. The people who follow judges' orders in these cases may not agree with them, but they follow those orders anyway because they respect the laws and the courts that enforce them. As Dwight D. Eisenhower said, quote, the rule of law does more than ensure freedom from high-handed action by rulers. It ensures justice between man and man, however humble the one and however powerful the other, close quote. Really, the rule of law is the glue that keeps us all functioning as one and helps us navigate life with our neighbors. Truly, the fates of our public duties are tied together. If the rule of law falters in our courts, it also falters in this state house. But nothing is simple these days, is it? The people whom we serve and the society in which we operate have become more fractured. People have forgotten the nature of the broad social contract that allowed us to form this state and this nation. The issues that become high-profile wedges in our society have successfully distracted us from many things we agree on. My hope then is to focus today on our joint obligation to maintain our rule of law. Bevan also highlighted some of the funding needs for Idaho's courts, including judicial salaries and temporary support for the Court Technology Fund. We've been frank with you in recent years about our case filing trends. Both here and nationally, the overall trend is a small decline in civil cases but we still handle more than 140,000 new court cases every year across one of the most geographically spread out states in the union. Those cases are often more complex and they are drawing more attention. Look, for example, at the national followings of some of our recent criminal proceedings. Even everyday cases require more focus than before. In Idaho, we maintain audio recordings of all court hearings as part of the official court record the record my colleagues and I rely on when reviewing a case on appeal. That audio is kept in a dedicated system devoted to this purpose. In 2023, that system received nearly 62,000 hours of court audio. That's nearly a 10% increase from the same time period just four years before. While Idaho has certainly gained judges in this time, we are also seeing more court filings involving arguments that require more courtroom time to resolve. 
Our courts perform this work against a backdrop of increased agitation towards government institutions. I spoke to you at length last year about the security threats our judges and court staff face. That situation has not improved. Our courts in 2023 handled 60,000 newly filed criminal cases, 23,000 cases involving family law, 14,000 probate cases, 5,000 juvenile cases, plus those carried over from previous years. Many of these cases resolve quickly without fanfare. Some become incredibly contentious. Underlying many of these cases are issues of mental health, substance abuse, homelessness, and neglect. All it takes is one person making a bad choice in one of these situations for the unthinkable to occur. Thank goodness we are not among states like Maryland or Wisconsin where judges or their family members were murdered in recent years. Or Nevada, where a judge was violently attacked in the courtroom just this month. But I still fear we're not far from that point. But even so, we carry on undaunted. In the same way that computers allow anyone to watch the full proceedings of this legislature, both the public and our many court partners expect and rely on the conveniences of our modern times. Video conferencing in the courts has been invaluable in terms of the public's access to justice and our ability to quickly coordinate court proceedings and court management across the state. Court hearings of public interest may be live streamed, allowing anyone to observe them. Administrative meetings held over Zoom encourage statewide participation of court stakeholders, and this improves the range of voices who are able to participate in determining how we operate while minimizing travel and related costs. Electronic filing and digital court recordings create efficiencies for both the courts and for those who use them. Right now, we are developing a new court records portal, offering access to public court documents right from your computer at home without the need for a physical trip to a courthouse. This will increase transparency into the workings of our courts for the people of Idaho. This brings me to my next topic, the sustainability of our systems. Judicial branch technology, including many of the employees who help maintain it, has primarily been supported through the Court Technology Fund. Established by this legislature, that fund gets its revenue through legislatively established fees imposed in both criminal and civil court cases. I understand the logic of such a self-funding approach, but in practice, this model falls short. Court fine and fee receipts for the fund declined an average of 2.1% per year in each of the last five years. Meanwhile, overall technology costs rose an average of 7% each year, a cumulative 35%. This ongoing disparity in funding makes our current system unsustainable. In speaking to you about these issues before, I have shared our efforts to build a sustainable future for our modern courts. As I promised last year, after extensive work with an independent consultant who evaluated our systems and staffing, I am pleased to present our solution based upon their recommendation. These steps are twofold. First, technology has substantially changed since we implemented digital court records, giving us more options to host and secure our systems the judicial branch has begun work to establish a statewide court computer network and to transition most services to a cloud-based structure rather than traditional local information hosting. This move will alter both our costs and staffing needs throughout the state. And so the second step 
will be a request that you close the gap between our current technology funding and what the courts need for long-term success. I ask you please give this funding your full support. It will make the difference in what services we can keep available to your constituents. For these systems are not nice bonuses, they are not bells and whistles. They are what technologically running a third branch of government requires and what the public, expense, ex, public expects from a modern court system. This funding includes recognizing the burgeoning demands of cybersecurity, and what a time we live in for that. In just the month of December last year, our systems blocked 209,000 attacks on our court websites and 57,000 critical and high security threats to our network firewalls. They also turned aside 124,000 copies of spam emails and messages with malicious intent. To me, those numbers are staggering. These figures are not unusual. They are the status quo. They are evidence of coordinated efforts calculated by others to disrupt American governments. In the judicial branch, we stay vigilant to prevent their success, but vigilance and protecting the people's records is not an inexpensive endeavor. Bevan also echoed some of his previous comments about the difficulty of recruiting experienced judges in Idaho for a multitude of factors. We come to you this year also hoping to renew the conversation about fair compensation for our judges. This is not just a conversation about pay, it's about retention and recruitment. I just passed my 20th year as a judge. I'm among just a handful of our active judges who have served that long or longer. Our average judge has been on the bench for much less time, approximately seven and a half years. And our experienced judges are increasingly choosing alternate employment or retirement over staying in the judiciary. A former magistrate judge gave a news interview last month about her departure from the bench, and I feel it is particularly illuminating. Judge Michelle Mallard gave exemplary service to the state of Idaho for 12 years in the seventh district. Her comments in the interview reflect concerns we also hear from attorneys. For an experienced attorney in their prime, service as a judge comes with a significant financial sacrifice by way of a pay cut. And judges are never off the clock. A judge must limit friendships, and the job includes a growing amount of harassment and threats directed not just at the judge, but at her family and children. Indeed, former Judge Mallard said her husband would sleep with a gun by their bed following certain cases. No one should have to do this as a result of public service. And it's not an environment conducive to recruiting the best and the brightest to serve as judges. Idahoans deserve judges who are at the prime of their careers and at the top of their game. But we don't get there by making judicial service painful and undercompensated. At the very least, let's pay our judges a fairer wage, something that reflects the market value of their education and expertise. For a full branch of government, one of only three branches, our full budget proposal still only touches a little more than 1% of the general fund. Thank you for giving it your consideration. By necessity, I have focused my remarks on the challenges before us, but make no mistake, Idaho has a strong and accomplished judiciary. So it is with a sense of optimism that I leave you today. Each year during these remarks, I've shared my strong belief that working together, our branches can truly improve life for the people of this state. You can listen to Bevan's full remarks on the Idaho Reports YouTube channel at youtube.com slash idahoreports. We'll be back next week with another new podcast episode. Thanks so much for listening.
Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.